you, you, you talk about, uh, well, when I tally, try to tally the various people, writers you've mentioned in various interviews and various times in, in, in your writing of, that have been your heroes literarily or, or influences. You mentioned uh, C.S. Lewis, Ian Forster, Nabokov, Dickens, Raymond Carver, Updike. Updike is alive, but the rest are dead white males, and I wonder if you draw conclusions from that. Um, I don't have that thing. I was thinking about this recently of, of reading this essay and writing about those uh, three qualities of persuasion there. Aristotle talks about logos. Um, and I was thinking about ethos particularly, and the idea of being the the right person to speak, having the right to speak. And I, I noticed certainly with a lot of young American white males that they feel very guilty about those kind of um, interests, those rights, those rights being their interests, so they feel they need to defend it. And I never felt the need to defend books that I liked. It didn't even occur to me. But now people do say dead white males, that kind of thing, and it seems strange to have a lot of interest in those writers. I don't, I don't think that I'm... Uh, you know, I just, whatever is the best writing, as far as I can tell and feel, that's, that's what I'm interested in. Um, and it, it does, it stretches to lots of other writers too, but I, I had a very traditional education, so those writers came up more often than others. But now I, particularly when it comes to women's writing, I seek it out a lot more, I read it a lot more actively, because it's, uh, it's, it does become a matter of survival. You do need to know that there are women who wrote really well. And one way or another, even though I suppose role models are a silly idea, it can't help but make you feel better. When I, when I first read Virginia Woolf, I felt pleasure that she was a genius, but also great relief that she was a genius, because she was a woman. Uh, speaking of, of the realm of, of identity politics as a template put over, put over literature, when I, when I googled Zadie Smith and post-colonial, I got 23,000 returns, <laughs> and, and I'm wondering, I, I, uh, I wonder what you think of that phrase and the concept and as applied to you and as a general academic rubric. I, I think it, it's, a, it's a factual description for a great deal of writing. I think you're, I mean, you're really pushing it with me. I mean, I'm born and bred in England, um, and I'm about as post-colonial post, post as it's possible <laughs> to be, I should think. Um, but, you know... I don't mean to sound cynical about it, but part of it is just convenience. And I, I kind of apologise to the rest of the post-colonial authors because they have a right to be there. And it just happens that White Teeth was published in the last year of the century and is, is very neat. So you read a Rushdie and, and you read the, a Qureshi and then I'm just tucked in as, as the last minute goes on the clock. So that's Oh, she has a Jamaican mother. That's the she, reason, she makes you know, it. And that's, and that's nice, but I, I feel slightly um, disingenuous to be there. And I do notice quite often... And I'm told I'm meeting students and they read white teeth and they write and then they have to write about the autograph and that doesn't really fit in, the whole post-colonial thing and then it, it all gets lost. Um, but no writer should complain about books that are bought by students. You know, that's the, that's the thing that makes books survive. So any way that I'm in colleges is extraordinary for me. 